welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the podcast. This is Rick Roberts, and thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Patreon sponsor, Glenn Dennehy. If you're not sure what Patreon is, it's a way you can get extra involved with the show by sponsoring the podcast. And you can do that for as little as a dollar a month or up to $7 a month, which gets you involved with Club 52, which means you get a weekly email with a prompt to get better, bigger, and more bookable at the business of comedy. You can learn all about that at schooloflast.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Hey, today we've got a fun interview with Lisa Mills. Lisa is a great speaker and comedian, and she does both. She's a hybrid like I am. I do both kinds of events. And we're going to talk today a little bit about the differences, maybe in expectations from our clients and how speakers approach a speaking engagement and how you can take some of those approaches to approach your comedy shows to make sure you're given the show that the person who hired you wants you to give. All of that coming up in just a second. If you're in the Milwaukee or Bakersfield or Amarillo, Texas area, and you want to get together for a cup of coffee, uh, shoot me an email, schooloflast at gmail.com. I'll let you know when I'm going to be in those areas and see if we can find a time to meet up. If you're in Nashville and you haven't checked out a taping of the Huckabee Show at TBN, I'll be warming up the audiences over there on March 26th. April 26th and April 30th. So again, email me schooloflast at gmail.com if you see an opportunity to meet up. Now let's get into this episode's interview with Lisa Mills. Good morning, Lisa. How's it going? It's so good. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. I'm glad to have you on. I know I've been saying this to a lot of people lately, but there's just a whole list of folks I want to get on the show. And if I don't get purposeful and, and get ahead of that list, uh, I'll end up not talking to some people. But you've been on there from the very beginning as well. So uh, as I was looking at people that I wanted to get on the program, I always try to think of, you know, what is some knowledge they can bring to the show that we haven't discussed yet? And you and I are similar in the sense that we, we do our comedy shows, but we also have programs people call them speeches or whatever but they're really programs that people can hire us for that include comedy but have a more serious tone to it so we'll get to that in a little bit because i know you do that and i do that and i can probably learn from you here today uh, as well but before we jump into all that what did you do before you started doing comedy and speaking because i i think if i remember right you had a background in nonprofit or some kind of social work is that right I did. Uh, absolutely. And and thank you so much for having me on the list. I'm on many lists, uh, <laughs> some famous, some infamous, but I don't know which ones you're small in, but, but I'm so glad to be here. Uh, yeah, I, before comedy, I was in um, social work. And so I, I a lot through family and community partnerships, I, uh, community action. I um, had my own company for a little while where I did a lot of the um, Department of Family Children Services uh, new client orientation. Uh, every month they came in, people who had signed up for services, and I would walk them through that process. And so just different things like that. Then I was on an executive staff for a large uh, ministry here in middle Georgia. So uh, that had a couple of 
nonprofits within it as well. And so, yeah, my, my world has been people, relationships, and nonprofit for a long time. That's great. And when you were doing, you know, speaking in front of those small groups, people that had signed up for the services, did you ever envision you would actually take this on the road with your own program and your own instructions on how to do things and, and turn it into a career? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Now, I, I grew up very humble, as we like to say. Uh, you know, it's just a beautiful word for poor. But I grew up very poor, so um, I knew how to make poverty funny. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, right. I could do that. And that, that was an art form when I was 12. I had no idea you could get paid for it. But, uh, you know, every, every family has that clown. And so I learned to take what I did within my family at the dinner table. I learned to do that at the orientations that I was at with people who were uh, going through some really hard times with clients that were disenfranchised or, you know, just whatever uh, we had going on where we were helping families. And so to make that process a little bit easier, uh, you you can build a relationship through laughter like nothing else, Rick. You know that. Like that's that's the whole art form of engagement through right. comedy. And um and so anyway, I would do that then. I didn't even know what I was doing. <laughs> I had no idea. I just knew that I knew how to do this thing. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. I know that sounds crazy. I just knew I had this little thing that I could do, and it would create a relationship or connection, and I could get any results out of it. It's not for the purpose of manipulating anybody, but just for the purpose of I see the best in you, and I can help you get there, and I can only do that if we have a relationship and you trust me. So fast forward that to... um I was standing on stage uh, one day doing a, a ladies conference and it was a very high profile speaker that was coming in and I was actually on the other side of the stage, Rick, I was the, uh, helping plan the event. And so this speaker was coming in and um, we were at a meeting beforehand and someone said, you know, this is really heavy right here. And how are we going to, you know, there's like 300 women out there. We need to lighten the room and, I wish we had a comedian and someone said, Hey, Lisa, you could do that. <laughs> nice. I know. And, and check this out. I have no idea, but this voice just come up inside me and said, sure, I can do that. I'll do it. And I stood on that stage in front of, well, no, it's probably, it was way more than 300 women. But anyway, I stood on that stage and did about 10 minutes of comedy that I had written the night before. And uh, I've been on the road ever since. Well, that was smart of you and the other planners to see that, ahead of time that it was going to get heavy and that they needed some laughter in there. And how crazy is it to, you know, I'm just going to write 10 minutes and pop that out tomorrow. It'll be fresh. I'll have it memorized. I might look at a couple of notes, but I'm going to kill this room. And you're like, it, I always find it interesting that it always takes somebody else. Like we know we're kind of funny, but we're waiting for the green light for somebody else to say, Hey, go do this finally, or get up there now, you know? And, and when we do, we're like, Oh yeah, I am good at this. And you had that in your peer group right there. Oh, my God. You know, because you're always, Rick, you know, you're always funny at the barbecue, the baby shower, you know, whatever. And, and you know, well, I have a really good, you, here's what you think. I have a really good sense of humor. You don't think I'll be a good comedian. Right. You just think I have a deep appreciation for things that are funny and comedy and all that. And I've been a fan of comedy, but you don't really think that you can do that. And then the day you do it, you're like, wow, this is amazing. Right. <laughs> Uh, all the bells and whistles go off in your head and you're like, wow, I can't believe it. I don't want to do anything else. Yeah. And it's also a great gift of not knowing what we don't know the first time we hit the stage because we're not, we're not overanalyzing every single thing and, and comparing it to a past performance for expectations because of, 
if we, I mean, I remember the first time I went up, I got maybe one laugh in five minutes and I didn't even know it was a comedy night. A whole, whole bunch of things were happening that night. But when I got that one laugh, I'm like, I can make people laugh. Yeah. Once. And it probably wasn't even for the right reason. It's probably because they're like, this guy has no idea what he's doing, but you're able to, you know, write that 10 minutes, go up there. And there's the only expectation you really had was have some fun, lighten up the mood with no last per minute or anything worried about that at that point, you know? Yeah, no one's paying you. You're you're not, you know, the expectation. That's that's the problem, Rick, is where we get in our head so much is unmet expectation that we have of ourselves. I didn't have anything of myself that day. I was like, I'm just going to try to do my best. You know, I'm going to do my best to lighten the room and whatever. You know, if if it comes up a little bit, it's going to be good. And, and it ended up really killing, actually. I mean, those women were in stitches and, um, and it was just, one of those now I wish I could have that every time and and right. it was a while after that before I had it again <laughs> that's interesting and you know it just reminded me and I, I can't remember who said it but I was listening to someone speak in the past couple of months and they were talking about the burden of expectation and I never had thought about it as in those terms that it there is a burden with it and but with that burden uh, you know once you become professional the burden is we expect this out of you and, and if you do it we'll pay you when there's the first time up there, there is not, there's no burden of expectation. There might be the, a burden of a sense of failure or, or a burden of letting people down because we don't know if we're going to do well. But the expectation is completely off the plate, so that's kind of a nice place to be. What, what do you, what, what, what do you think was okay? So you do that first event, and then there's, you know, from that there's all kinds of avenues to pursue it and get better between open mics and putting on your own events. Or, you know, asking other speakers, can you do some time in front of them? What was your next step after that first 10-minute chunk? Well, I had someone call me from a nonprofit that was in the audience, and they booked me from that show uh, from the mm. first time. And so, yeah, it was kind of a – mine's a different little path. And uh, I didn't have to get on a boxcar with a knapsack and be a hobo for three years. You know, most comedians have this really glorious, awesome – story about how they got started and slept in roach motels and all that, you know, that, that's not my story. And, um, but you know, maybe because, you know, someone knew I could never live like that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have in me what it takes to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I would have been like, no, I I love nonprofit. Forget it. But, um, so what happened was I got booked and I went and did, uh, I went and did their event and one thing just led to another. It was like this domino effect that was going on. And so I had to figure out how to do comedy. (laughs) you know what I mean? I had bookings and and I was just like, I got to figure out how to do this. I know that there's a a craft. This is a craft and there's an art form and all that. And so I started for three years just trying to learn on my own. No one in my town, Rick, was a comedian. No one knew anything about comedy except they had Comedy Central on their cable box. You know what I mean? And so I, I didn't have, I had no idea where comedians go or I lived almost two hours away from Atlanta. And so uh, that kind of thing, you know, I, I didn't have that thing. So what happened was three years in, I was working conferences and uh, events and just whatever I could get. And three years in, I went on YouTube and just said, um, there's got to be a comedian on here that does what I do. And I'm smart enough to know this. I'm not super, super bright, Rick, but I'm smart enough to know that if I just find somebody who's doing what I want to do, I can learn from them. I don't have to reinvent the wheel or pave a, a new path or anything like that. I just got to find what, where mine, uh, something similar to me. And so I had started, I had gotten an agent. I did a showcase um, 
in, in Atlanta. I drove to Atlanta and did a showcase and I got an agent for acting. I didn't really know where this was going to go. I just knew that comedians needed TV credits. Um, you know, I was just doing all this behind the scenes things going, what do you need? What do you have to have? And so I got a, an agent and uh, uh, that kind of thing. And, and so I had started writing a book. <laughs> so uh, I, I just felt like I was supposed to do that. And uh, so I started writing this book. So here, here's all that to say. I had a book. I had acting and I had comedy and I needed somebody who had all three of those as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I just didn't need somebody who was just doing one of them. Right. And, uh, and I, so I went online and I knew I wanted to be clean and all that. So there were some parameters to my digging around, but I found Carrie Pomeroli. That's how I found her wonderful comedian out of LA, uh, doing incredible things. And so I, I watched her YouTube videos. I followed her on social media. I started seeing how her career was formed and, in the direction it was going. And I said, okay, I think this person probably has something to teach me. And I sent her an email and the rest is kind of history <laughs> for how that's, I learned. And yeah, that's great. So she, she replied back obviously. And did you, you know, attend one of her shows or how did you get to know her better? No, no, it, it was a, almost a year before I saw her. Uh, actually I sent her some, she asked me, she said, Hey, she said, I just really appreciate that's a great thing about when you get to a certain level where you can really figure out when someone's sending you an email, do they just want to be validated or do they have some real chops or do you just need to encourage them or whatever? And she just had the, the discernment in the heart to say, you know what? I really think you got something. I sent her a clip and she looked at it. She said, Lisa, you got some of the words in the wrong place and, and you don't know, you know, how to tag a joke real well and that kind of thing. But the things that you do know, the bones that you have, the natural ability, man, girl, you've been doing this for three years. And, and I really think that you can really take this and crank this thing up. And so here's what happened for the next several months. I hired her. Ah. I didn't want anything free. You know what I mean? Like I was willing to work for it and I know whatever you invest in, that's really what you're going to be focused on. And you right. got to put a little skin in the game on something. And so I would take at the time, cause I wasn't, you know, I didn't have the budgets that I have now and that kind of thing. So I would take our grocery money, Rick, and I would shave like $10 off of it every week. You know what I mean? Or $20 off of it every week. And she gave me this super discounted rate so that I would PayPal her once a month and, uh, and then call her right after the PayPal hit. And I would call her and we would talk for an hour. And when I say talk, Rick, we didn't talk about what was on sale at Coles or something right. like that. For 16 minutes, she made me go through my set. We didn't have Zoom. We didn't have video conference. She made me go through my set line by line like I was on stage. And she would stop me and say, There's, this is a tag. You have to put it there. Put this word at the end. Stop it. You're going too fast. Get all those words out of your mouth. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. that's how I really began to shape that thing and learn the craft. And, and I owe her Man, I'm indebted forever for her just on an email from a YouTube video fan going, right. you know, I think I can help this girl. That's great. And so you were taking what she was telling you to do and you were doing it, putting it back, you know, reworking your material and just putting those stories right back into your your speaking engagements. Or were you starting to hit some open mics, too, at that point? I, I wasn't doing any speaking. It was just all comedy. I was, every event I was doing, it was just for stand up for those first three years. And I had no, you know, I wasn't going to speak or anything like that. Uh, what happened, the only way you can do that without open micing, as you know, Rick, is you have to put it in the middle of your set. 
Mm-hmm. You have to you have to take that new bit that you're reworking. If you're not out open micing, which I wasn't, I, I had two kids. I was homeschooling. Um, you know, I was just doing uh, little side jobs and hustles to try and get by as I was trying to get this up and running. And so I didn't, I couldn't run to Atlanta for you know a two hour drive all the time. So every conference that I had or every women's event or whatever was going on in the middle of my set, I would take a new bit and I would stick it in there and I would get the reaction and that kind of thing. And I would take it back to her and we reworked it. And then I would stick it in there and the better it got, the more I would move that bit up or down in the set. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so I would just put it in between that tried and true material that if it bombed, (laughs) I knew I could get it back in the next two minutes, you know? Um, but, but really for me, that was just, I didn't open mic. I've never done an open mic in 10 years. And, uh, that's just how, and even now when I write a new set, it takes two years, but, um, that's okay. I'm not going back to the same place in two years anyway. So, um, but that's how I do it on the road in between the, in between the good stuff. Well, that's great. And I'm sure people are listening going, wait a second, how is she, she's getting gigs, but she's not doing open mics, not doing the local comedy clubs where most of your events spinoffs from other events how are you getting the word out there at that point yeah that that's a and see now i you brought that up that's that's so true now i realize like that's not supposed to work as well as it did for me um so um you know some stuff in this in this deal pursuing a dream is just kind of unexplained rick i don't know uh, this is my story but i would get booked from that event to the next event and then the greatest thing i tell people this whenever i'm speaking at a conference on comedy or whatever or chasing your dream the greatest thing about no one doing what you do where you are, it is not uh, a deficit. <laughs> it is not something against you. You can actually make that work for you. You can be the only one who can offer that in your area. You can be the very best in your town. There was not another comedian in my town. And so if someone wanted one, they had to come get me. Right, right, right. So if they, you know, if they saw, uh, and I live in an Air Force town, so it's very diverse and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And so I had, there was everything from military to churches to, to companies to, to whatever. If you said, hey, we need a comedian. And they're like, oh, I guess we got to go online and get one from Atlanta. And someone would say, no, uh, there's this uh, redheaded chick who <laughs> lives here in town. And uh, she's playing some jokes and she's pretty good at it. Why don't we just get her? And so... That kind of took off probably more than I've, more than it should have really, honestly. But but hey, it worked. Well, you know that, that's not a bad thing to, you know. There's a negative that you don't have a, a group of people right there to hang out with, but you are the group to everybody else who's looking for somebody. So you know, like you say, there's no no one path, and yours was a, a unique one in that sense. So you were doing the comedy, and then what led to the speaking stuff? So you said the first three years it was primarily just comedy. That fourth year was it when you started? having the you know the offers come in for other stuff yeah i started that in um it's been full time now not just dabbling but full time since 2019 or 15 sorry so it's been four years and i I saw someone i follow uh kelly swanson i I adore her love her she is um just a doll but anyway she's super funny and she's a humorist uh in national speakers association and i had followed her for years I just really liked her material. Honestly, I just kind of liked her. You know what I mean, Rick? Like, mm-hmm. I just liked her personality. She, she, she's speaking and sharing some really cool stuff, but she's a professional storyteller as well as a humorist. And so there was some really cool things about the way she told a story and the way she integrated humor. And I watched her for years. And there was something in 2015, a chance meeting that she and I had through Shonda Pierce. Um, we kind of, 
uh, spent the weekend with Shonda. Shonda had a few girls from some, and, and by the way, I just, I love her. Shonda, I, I couldn't uh, have this conversation with you today. If, if Shonda, Carrie, Kelly, I, I, I owe a lot of people uh, with the mortgage that I just paid. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know what right, I mean? Right. So, uh, so anyway, she had this uh, uh, event, at, a real private little intimate event at her place in Nashville and just said, Hey, I got some girls coming and just kind of want to give back. And Kelly was one of those girls. And when I pulled in the parking lot, Rick, I saw her and she has, you know, big red hair and you can't miss Kelly. And so I pulled up and we had never met. I stopped the car. Kay Dodd was with me. I stopped the car and I jumped out and just had this fangirl moment and said, are you Kelly Swanson? She said, (laughs) are you Lisa Mills? (laughs) I was like, how do you know who I am? And she said, I follow you online. And, and so, um, anyway, so we had the weekend together and when we left that weekend, we knew that we would be friends forever and she has been inspirational. And I knew after meeting her and watching her, I had that in me. She just helped me knock some dust off of it and uncover it and say, you know what, girl, you could do this. And, um, and so that kind of led to that. And, uh, same thing. I did it once and people call for their association or their next one. And then I had another speaker say, Hey, I got a bureau that you could really help them. And someone said, I got a bureau that, you know, I think they need you and, you know, and it just kind of grew. That's great. And a lot of people probably don't realize the, you know, I wouldn't call them small things you did. You were purposeful about finding people to connect with and looking for uh, opportunities to hang out. And that one really just seemed like it really came together where you had Shonda and Kelly and a few others in the same spot for a couple of days. I can only imagine how much fun you guys had cutting up. <laughs> and K-Dodd was with us and some oh, different yeah. people. Let me tell you something. In that, that condo on the river comedy was exploding out of that condo. And minds were bursting all over the world. <laughs> I promise you. Things were just lining up. And, and uh, there's been some, you know, there's some mile markers in your life that kind of just change things. And, and that was just, it's, it's changing, life changing for me and comedy changing for me that weekend as it was when I was, um, when I was on stage the very first time. Right. That's, that's great. And that's a great bunch of folks. I'd love to get Kelly on the podcast. I've talked to Carrie on the show before and she's awesome. Um, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll try to tap into her knowledge here pretty soon, but back to you, you have really established yourself and you're pretty busy now. Not only are you doing the speaking and the comedy, you know, last January, end of January, you had a conference that you put on in, in your town. Tell us a little bit about that conference i did at k dot and i were co-founders of shecon conference and and shecon is speak humor effectively and so we just you know how it is ricky after a show where you're signing books or you know whatever and you're standing at your product table and people are buying dvds you will always have somebody that comes up to you and say i want to do what you do and we have that we have people email us and that kind of thing and 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 not that, you know, you're some celebrity or something. Trust me, I'm only known at four Piggly Wigglies in the Tri-County area. So it's not like <laughs> I'm some celebrity or anything like that. But um, that's what makes you so approachable is people have never heard of you. And then you get up there and, they, and you create this room, this experience in the room that they're part of that just kind of pulls on their dream. And so they come to the back of the room uh, and buy a book and say, hey, I, I want to do this. How do you do it? And you get the same kind of emails and that kind of thing. So Kay and I just kind of came together and said, you know, we just don't want to drop these people. No, there was someone who picked us up. 
there was someone who gave us something and said, hey, yeah, I see something in you. And so you just don't want to drop these people and you got to create something for them. And so Kay and I got together and created SheCon and it was, you know, a few days of just women coming together. We weren't specific to women. A lot of our audiences, although I do a, you know, a co-ed audience, a lot of our audiences where we got that kind of request came from from females and so we created that and we were so fortunate to have people like you come and, and do a keynote and um, really teach and and that kind of thing and and we had probably 20 women fly from all over the United States um, and, and come to that and just spend a few days with us learning and it was incredible. It was a, a great time and I was impressed at how focused everybody was and like you say some of those folks came in from all over the place so you knew you had something there so that's pretty cool. Moving forward this year, you've got, you know, I'm sure you're busy. I, I saw you post earlier that you, <laughs> I'm not your only phone call today. You've got some other stuff going on. And, but I want to talk a little bit about just the speaking, what maybe comedians can learn from the business approach that speakers have. Not that the, you can't do it the other way, but we've talked about the other way a lot. What, you know, what are some things that speakers do? And I'll share some of mine to make sure the event is a success and to make sure they know what their client is looking for when you show up. Can you give us kind of from the first contact to the, the day after the show, just a kind of a, a checklist of what goes on? Yeah. And I'm, I'm interested to hear from you. You have so much more experience with this than I do. So, um, so yeah, but, but what I do, Rick, is I, the expectation like we talked about earlier, there's someone who's paying you for this. And so uh, the same in comedy, but there is a, a different expectation. These people aren't coming to hear set up joke, tag, tag, set up joke, tag, tag. You know what I mean? They're, they have to have some content in there as well. And so uh, that's pertinent to whatever their event is that's tailored for their audience. And they're going to need to leave uh, not just laughing, but they're going to need to leave uh, having learned something, having been, have something deposited that they can use next week on their job. And, uh, and so that expectation causes you to prepare a little bit different than I do in comedy. So what I do from the initial contact, I don't have anyone that contacts them back. I make the first contact my booking. I have a booking manager now, um, you know, assistance, whatever. And I do not let anyone do that. That first initial call is me. And it is quickly. It is at least, and this is late for me, Rick, but it's at least within the first 24 hours. Mm -hmm. um, and that's only if I'm in an airport stuck or on the stage somewhere or something. But I call you back within hours of your first initial contact. I, I want to talk with you. So you get that vision of, from, the, from the meeting planner during that phone conversation. Not even, even if they ask me, you know, I know people say all the time, they, well, they're asking me what my fee is and if I'm available and all the boring stuff that can turn them off. And uh, I don't even, I ignore all of that. I just get them on the phone. There's, there's something about talking to someone where, you know, we could make it work. We can figure it out if we can talk together. So anyway, I figure out what their vision is and I take that. And I, after we get, we start that booking process, I take that vision and I began to put that into what I'm going to bring. Not just my vision. I mean, we all have our, our programs and the one expertise that, that we really focus on. But um, if I can't take their vision and put it with my expertise and lend to that, then I'm not the right fit. I tell people all the time, I only want to make the room better. Okay. I want to leave this room. When I'm with your people, I want to leave this room better than I found it. Rick, the secret to that is knowing when you're in the right room. True. True. You don't want to be in the wrong room because I don't care how funny you are. It's never going to be funny enough. I don't care how much you know, it will never be enough. And so I, I 
find a way to meld those together. And when they become a good fit and you get that good program together, then I'm on the way. Because some of these things we have scheduled out for six months, a year out, whatever. And I, I just kind of touch base with them throughout the year, throughout the next few months. Hey, I'm so excited. Excited. Um, this, I'm, you know, I'm going to be with you guys and it's going to be awesome. And, and I'm putting your program together. And so by the time I get closer to the event, then we call and we have an, an, an interview. We have a phone interview before their event, probably about 60 days out. And I have an entire, which I'm sure you do as well. I have an interview list that I'm just kind of talking to them, but I'm really going down my list. I want to know everything from what's happening on stage before me to who I hand this mic back to when I'm done. What does success look like to you, to the event planner? What what does it look like when I'm done and I leave this room? How will you know that my time on that stage was successful for you? What is your barometer? And so, um, you know, because I, I need to know every bit of that if I'm if I'm going to have a tailored custom program for you. And so uh, then the follow up after that, you want to follow up. You, you can't be afraid. No matter what happened at the event, you can't be afraid of the feedback. And I think comedians, that's hard for us. As a comedian, you leave and you're like, uh, deuces, I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> right. I got my check. You're on, you're on, yeah. I, whew, I did it. it. That feeling never goes away. If it does, please let me know. It hasn't in 10 years. <laughs> Right. Where you're like, oh, it's over. Um, and so when you're funny for 60 minutes and all, you get off the stage and you're like, thank you. I'll send by, you know, but, but here's the thing. You create an experience as a comedian that will last hopefully beyond that 60 minutes. Right. But what they paid me for as a speaker is, is for me to create an experience uh, to deposit something that will last for years in their work life. And that's very specific. <laughs> and so there's a different, there's a different strategy to, to form in that. So anyway, you, you call them back, you, you do the follow-up, you find out what the feedback was. I always, I'm very positive. I, I learned from people like Kelly and Lori Guest and uh, people like that, that, you know, I, I'd say, you know, the, the feedback was so positive when I left. I hope it remained as positive uh, in the days that followed. Can you, you know, tell me about that? And so, um, when you follow up, people know that you care, and it gets and, and, and not only that, it gets you rebooked and and um, to other things that that they you know might have for you. But so anyway, there's a process to that. I'm interested to hear how yours differs from that. I'm sure it's awesome. <laughs> well, no, I'd love to hear it. Well, there's lots of similarities. I'm like you now, where I try to find out, a am I the right person? B I, I also don't talk about money until the end of the conversation, if not even after the conversation, where I guess the first question I ask them is, have you had this event before? And if you have, have you had what speakers or comedians have you had there before? And so that helps me envision, A, if, if, they're, if they've never had an event, that's a whole different conversation. And if they've had an event but never had a comedian or a speaker, that also is a different conversation than just let me fill that spot for you this year. That's the easiest conversation to have. So if, when you're taking on, yeah, when you're taking on somebody who's has never put anything together before, you know, it's not a red flag, but it's definitely a caution flag for, okay, they might not even realize what a budget looks like for a speaker or a comedian if they've never had one before. Because right then you become not only the comedian speaker, you also become the event planner for the next four months. Right. <laughs> you have so, to help walk them through all that. Right. And it's not that I, I don't mind doing that. I've got some resources for them to help out, but just knowing what I'm getting myself into. And if, if they have had a speaker or a comedian and I know them, 
then I can call them after that initial phone call and just say, you know, what was the event like for you on your side? Did they, was it professionally run? Did they, you know, do everything they said they were going to do on their end and try to get that info before I, I quote a price as well, just to make sure that I, I know that I'm in the right ballpark and all those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, once, once it looks like I am a good fit, then I always ask them, how will you define if this event is a success? Kind of like you were saying, and I write down whatever they say. If they say people walk out the door laughing and, and, you know, having a good time or there's conversations afterwards at the rest of the conference based on what you brought into the, the meeting, I write that down. And so when I follow up, I say, hey, you know, when we talked, you know, six months ago about doing this event, you know, you said you would define it as a success if people walked out, you know, with a handful of notes that they took and energized and ready to put it into their workplace. Uh, do you think that happened? It looked like it happened from my end, but I just want to make sure it did from yours. And if they say, yeah, it's exactly what happened, then I say really quickly, you know, instead of me asking you to write a big, long testimonial, can I just put that into a testimonial and have you sign off on it? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that saves me some time. And, but knowing what that uh, success barometer is is important. And then in the follow-up, too, and I'm sure you do this in your own way, but, you know, once I've uh, gotten a testimonial from them, which if people don't know what that word means, it basically means a letter of reference. Or a, sometimes they can speak it into a video or sometimes they can write it for you. But then I just follow up with a thank you a second thank you card, the first thank you card I mail out from the location before I leave town while there's, you know, the vent is fresh in my mind. Like, hey, I enjoyed tonight. I really like what Frank said about this or I enjoyed Paul getting up on stage with me or whatever it might be. And then I send a little gift card, Starbucks saying thanks again for everything. And if there's two or three people, you know, that could use somebody like me at their next event, you know, please connect me. And I could probably be more uh, purposeful and, and maybe do more of that. I don't like to be heavy handed with asking for referrals, but it does generate some business for sure. I love that. That's a nice touch. I love that from the city before you leave. That's really awesome. Yeah. And if I, if I was on the ball, I'd probably just hand it to them instead of (laughs) spending a stamp in two days to get it into their hands. But I know that I know from putting on events and you know, from putting on events that it is so much overstimulation and people in your face talking to you that I, I try not to be that one extra thing at the end of a long conference or a long night for that event planner. Right. That probably gives me an advantage because I did plan the, One of the last events I ever planned had 4,000 people attending over like four days cool. and several speakers. Yeah. I mean, I had a team like back and forth to the airport and this, that, you know, so, so I always try, I'm like that. I try to be the least maintenance part of your whole event. I, you know, just for that reason, I've, I've seen what high maintenance speakers are like. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I tell you, even being a speaker on the same bill with somebody that's high maintenance, you can almost provide value to that client by being the comedy relief after that other speakers uh, bring some stress to them. You know, like I just kind of sometimes just, you know, give them a little nudge on the side and go, hey, all I need is a mic. <laughs> And I told him, I said, listen, I need a mic. I'll bring my own bottle of water. You know, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that, it. that's great. Well, it sounds like you've got uh, a lot going on and, and a lot of good stuff going on. Not, not just busy to be busy, but work and purpose behind it. So I, I'm excited to, to see what you're doing and see it keep growing. For anybody that's listening and they want to connect with you, I know your website is lisamillsspeaks.com if they want to take a look at who they just listened to. Um, is there any 
any advice, I guess we'll part with this, any advice you give somebody who's either a speaker thinking about adding humor or someone who's a comedian thinking about getting a little more serious and using comedy to help deliver a message about taking that first step into the other direction? Yeah, I pro- if, if I had to have like one thing that I look back and say, man, I wish I'd have probably knew that, known that earlier and that I could pass on would be this. In comedy, you really work to find your voice. I mean, that's just what you spend those first years doing because you're just trying to figure out who you are and you're just trying to figure out your voice. But in speaking, you don't work to find your voice. You work to find your audience. You work to find your people. And so um, if I could say anything, those two things probably helped me the most, working to find my voice in comedy. And then when I started speaking, it was working to find my audience, working to find the people who needed what I had to say. Because most of the time, Rick, we know what we want to say. We, we have this feeling, this function, whatever, that this is my topic. This is what I want to talk about. And for me, it was the power of connection and the art of engagement. And I needed to find the people who wanted to hear that and needed that the most. And so that's what I worked toward. So if I had to say that, uh, say anything, it would be that. In comedy, you work to find your voice. And in speaking, you work to find your people. That's interesting. Yeah, and I think it's, it's dead on. But figuring that out, I, for other people, maybe it's, it's a different piece of, of goal for them. But for me in my career and in 10 years in that I'm full time, I'm on the road and just really blessed to be able to be at this point. Kelly tells me all the time, you should have, Lisa, count your lucky stars, girl. You should have never started out of the gate that great. And, and you know, it's just really a blessing to see what, what's been able to happen in your career. So if I could say anything, those two things right there and connecting with people, Rick, just just to end, connecting with people and not isolating this whole thing to myself and really reaching out. I just kept reaching out to other people and, and connected with people like Carrie and Shonda and Kay and Kelly. And and, uh, and that has been just a, lot, a game changer. That's great. Well, I think we'll leave it right there and let that soak in because that's good advice. Uh, don't isolate yourself. Look for your audience. And then work hard to make sure you deliver the right program, I think, is the the main three takeaways, at least that I picked up today. And it's good and and reaffirming to me as I go forward this week and plan some events to have those things in line. So thank you so much for uh, joining us today on the show and good luck with the rest of your day. It was a privilege. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate it. There you go. The wonderful, brilliant Lisa Mills. How about that? Lisa gave us a lot of good insight there on how to make sure we deliver upon the expectations that are put forth by the folks that hire us. Hope you enjoyed that. You can check out more about Lisa at lisamillsspeaks.com. She's got all of her media links in there, uh, social media links, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all up in the top right corner of her website, which I think is a very well-done website. I should have mentioned that on the show to her, but it's fresh. It looks good on mobile. And it definitely represents what she does. So way to go there, Lisa. Thanks again to Glenn Dennehy for sponsoring this episode through Patreon. You can learn more about Patreon by going to schooloflaughs.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Join us by sponsoring the podcast and you can get bonuses such as Club 52 and quarterly online hangouts. All that you can find out more on the website. Thanks a lot, guys. I'll see you. Maybe I'll see you in Milwaukee or Bakersfield or Amarillo or Nashville or somewhere else. Stay safe and stay funny. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. 
Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.